0: Uh, Ronald Reagan has a quote. He said that um, freedom is never more than one generation away from being lost. It's not passed in the bloodline. Instead, it must be taught and it must be fought for by every generation. If not, one day we'll be sitting and talking about how things how great things used to be. And so that's kind of like to your point, like we have the chance right now, um, if we don't fight for it right now, we're one generation away from losing it. And our kids will be talking about how it used to be. And I don't want that.
1: Welcome to One Love Bitcoin, I'm Dred, and today we're headed to the beautiful US territory of Puerto Rico, an island in the Caribbean with a rich culture of music and food and dancing. But this won't be a deep dive into that history. This is going to be the experiences of an expat that moved to Puerto Rico, Mark Moss, an investor from California that moved to Puerto Rico to try and escape all the fiscal and political insanity going on out there he's a world traveler a surfer musician and now an online educator so we covered a wide range of topics on this one full joy this one people one love
2: Made sense to me. Why some crave the limelight It makes me wonder how I'm supposed to be. Could it be wrong to kick back and just write? Now let the truth be told. When in my zone, learn from the fightest techniques. Now let the truth be sold to you. Eyes on the goal, but you're moving too quick. Don't speak. Go speak to No doubt, gonna lay my claim. You put in work and just wait, and let it all unfold. Straight from the soul. Now I stick to my goal always. Damn right, gotta lay my claim Watch the whole world change And let it all unfold Straight from the soul Gotta stick to my goal always It's the truth fast, step into the night Now never made sense to me my son choose the limelight Imagine if they put the time to seek To find a talent And then watch it take flight Well let the truth be told Go to your zone Learn from the finest techniques Well if the truth
1: be sold to you Come to your own But you're moving too quick Don't Mark Moss Hi, welcome to One Love Big Klein. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, Mark Moss, if you guys don't already know, is a prolific um, investor, businessman, and and now he's spending his time teaching us plebs about you know how to do that as well. So, you know, tell the people about yourself, you know, tell the world you know, exactly what you do, what your background is and how you got into into teaching us all about um, business and investment.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, pleasure to be here, by the way. Thanks so much for inviting me. Love to catch up with you. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been basically a full-time investor, business owner, entrepreneur for 25 years or more. Um, I, I bought my first uh, investment real estate project when I was 18 years old, fixed it up, flipped it, sold it, made more money in, a, in, in that short period of time than I could in a year working a full-time job. And I've basically been off to the races ever since. Uh, the lines between business owner and investor get very blurred. I went on to fix and flip 150 homes. So I don't know if that was my business or was I a real estate investor? And so the lines get really blurred, but I've, uh, I've founded and consulted many companies, a fortune 500 exits. Um, so I've uh, been doing this for a long time, but, but really focused on investing in 2008, I got wiped out in the, in the, in the financial crash. And so um, that was a big smack up across the face, kind of like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I thought I had it figured out. I was uh, on top of the world, had huge amounts of money, just got married, had my first kid. And then I just got punched right in the face really, really hard. And um, it made me realize that I was like pretty good at making money, but I didn't understand what this whole financial casino thing was going on. I didn't know, understand that piece. And so there was a little piece of my education that was missing and, and it, was, it was devastating for me. Um, so I basically vowed to like never let that happen to me again. I learned this concept that is uh, money is like energy. So what that means is money doesn't disappear, it transfers. So what that means is when I lost my money, someone else got my money and I didn't like that. I may not be the most competitive person in the world, but that just didn't sit with me. And so at that point, that was about a dozen years ago, I vowed to never let that happen to me again. As a matter of fact, to always be on the receiving end of wealth transfers moving forward. And so basically, for the last 12 years, I've studied wealth transfers, um, how they work, how to find them, identify them, how to position for them. And um, about, uh, about 2015, I uh, had seen Bitcoin for years. Um, like a lot of people, seen it, heard it, watched it, the price went up, the price crashed. I don't really know what it is. But 2015, I was in the process of trying to establish my personal sovereignty. Uh, I was following uh, someone named Simon uh, Simon Black from Sovereign Man. And it's about, uh, you wouldn't put all your money in one stock or one asset. Why would you put your whole life into one country? And so you should have multiple flags, like flag theory, uh, multiple passports, bank accounts, etc. And so I was actually in the process in 2015 of uh, opening up a trust in Panama on bank account. And so I could work on like a visa residency program. And I took another look at Bitcoin at that time. And I said, this is the exact same thing. It's the way for me to get my money out of the financial system, which is what I was trying to do and and increase my my sovereignty. So I went into Bitcoin. Um, Once I started digging in, I realized this was the only tool that we have. I had become very disillusioned with the system and politics and finance and all of those things. I was I was a gold bug. I, I knew that we had to return to a sound money. So I was on board with that. But once I found Bitcoin, it gave me hope because all of a sudden I was like, we have a tool now. Now we actually have a tool to fight back And so since that point, I said, I have to tell everybody I know about this and we need to get the whole world in on it. And so since then, the last now, whatever, five, six years, I've been making as much content as I can to try to um, educate people. Um, I kind of try to focus on um, why we need it. So highlighting the problem. So I'll talk about federal reserve policy, negative interest rates, uh, what, you know, runaway spending does highlighting the problems um, so that then you can see why Bitcoin is important. So a lot of times people, especially in the United States and Western developed worlds, they don't understand why Bitcoin matters. Uh, there, there's no value there. It doesn't do anything. Uh, but when you can understand the problems and then you can see that the solution is there. So that's what I try to do. Uh, I make a uh, uh, lots of content on YouTube and, and, uh, and on the podcast and kind of on the speaking circuit. And I'm just trying to tell everybody, uh, give people a message of hope. One, one, the future's not good. Mm -hmm. Um, if we don't do something about it, it's going to be extremely bad. If not, uh, potentially, uh, like matrix type scenario we may never get out of. So it's very scary, but it's also a message of hope that if we do get this right, we can have that freedom. And, uh, so that's what, that's what I'm doing.
1: Do you feel like those two messages that you're sending kind of evolved? Where you said you were a gold bug, right? So do you feel like when you were a gold bug only, it was only that number one message you had, where the future's bad. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, but it's really bad. And maybe that number two came around because you we have a tool now that kind of provides hope.
0: Well, um, I wasn't making content when I was a gold bug, so I didn't have that message as far as it evolving. I would say though that I think uh, I think gold and Bitcoin are fighting the same fight. Um, they're both fighting against uh, fiat money, you know, unlimited money printing. Both fighting to have a sound money supply. So I think in that regard, they're both fighting the same fight. Um, so I guess I, I'm, I'm, what, what I found is I, I went from being a gold bug to a sound money advocate. And so I think we're both pushing for sound money. Um, I still like gold. I just think gold is unfortunately not equipped to move into the new age, the digital digital age that we're going into. Um, And Bitcoin is just so much better in so many regards that it just gives a lot more hope, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think I agree too. a a lot of people that I know that are gold bugs um, have the similar view where they're like, you know, I always believed in this, this concept of sound money. I just thought gold was the only one. I know that he right. realizes more. Yeah, it's, it's much more um, hopeful.
0: And, and I talk uh, about gold quite a bit on my channel because I'm trying to like bring people in. So like there's plenty of people who have Bitcoin channels and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, Bitcoin Sessions or Stefan Lavera or Marty Ben and all these people, What Bitcoin Did podcast. Um, yep. But only people that are already into Bitcoin want to listen to those. hmm there's a whole lot of people that think Bitcoin's stupid or don't know what it is or don't think it has any value that would never listen to those tools. So I'm trying to kind of open up and expand to those people and bring them in. So I talk a lot about gold and I have a lot of gold people. Um, and so I see a lot of those comments of people, the gold bugs that still think um, that gold's the only way. But the problem with gold is it's, it's, it can't be sent over the internet, like you and I are working today, it doesn't make that digital age jump. And yeah. because of the because of the, because of the size and the weight, it requires centralization so that we can use like paper gold certificates with it. And that centralization always leads to manipulation. Yeah. And so uh, from that regard, I just don't see how it works moving forward.
1: Yeah, I agree. But it's so funny that I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on the same path where, you know, I'm trying to use my history to, to reach other people, but not just like the Western world, all over the world, like different countries that people haven't heard of Bitcoin before, or there might be one or two people that are there. I want to interview them and have the people hear what they're doing for their countries. And to your point, a lot of people, there are still like default gold bugs, I like to call them, because unfortunately, a lot of people still think the gold is pegged to the dollar. Like a lot of people don't right. even know what happened in 1971. So, you know, right. a lot, every time I, I share these videos with people, they're like, wait, what? You know, Britain yeah. Woods happened, you know, so I really or like, or uh, even
0: more or even more they maybe don't even realize gold was even ever pegged to, or uh, dollar was ever pegged to gold in the first place they don't even understand those basic concepts
1: yeah yeah the the financial language needs to be taught and then the financial literacy needs to be taught as well and and I'm I'm really happy you're doing it you know uh, and in these videos so what what made you move to Puerto Rico though I know that uh, you said you were living in the U S before and you moved there and also how is it there like you know is it like yeah. a big Bitcoin econ- economy there going or is it still kind of just like the U S
0: Yeah. So um, I'm from Southern California. I'm a surfer. Um, We, my family, we travel all over the world to the most remote locations of the world to get the best waves. Um, So I'm used to kind of traveling and, 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 and maybe living in, you know, subpar conditions or whatever. Um, A lot of people told me, Oh, Mark, you're not going to like it in Puerto Rico. Like it's not like, uh, like the U S is. Sure. Uh, but I said, well, you don't know my, uh, what I'm used to. Um, but, but I, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I think it's, it's awesome here. It's beautiful. The infrastructure is great. The roads are great. Um, uh, I've never felt unsafe. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, I mean, it's an island in the Caribbean, right? So it's, yeah. it's awesome from that regard. Um, what, what really triggered the move, um, a couple things. One, I said that you know we already kind of move around quite a bit already. Um, I, I typically will spend a couple months abroad, typically down in Mexico and Central America. Um, so we already do that already. So we're kind of used to doing that. Uh, but the big thing was that um, when, the, when the COVID thing happened, um, California and New York were like the two strictest States in the nation. And so California was just relentless on the lockdowns and, uh, the kids can't go to school. You can't go shop anywhere. You can't go out to eat anywhere. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And so we're like, what the heck are we doing here? Like, Um, Puerto Rico, which, uh, at the time in January, when we moved over was more open and more relaxed than California was. And so we thought, Hey, let's just go to Puerto Rico and check it out. Um, that changed and then Puerto Rico became stricter than California, but that's a little bit of a different different story. But uh, so the first thing was um, that really started pushing it was, um, I believe I've actually built my whole investing career off of a concept that I always said that uh, money goes where it's treated best. And so what that means is I always look at my money and where it's at in this real estate project or in this stock. And I ask myself, is that where it's being treated best right now? Is that where it gives me the best return? And then I apply that to my life. So then like I need to go where I'm treated best. And so living in a state that uh, was locking me down and providing me no services, that's not treating me good. On top of it, um, California has the highest tax rate of any state in the nation. And so for, for international people, Maybe they don't realize this, but the United States has like a federal tax rate. So you have to pay for the whole country. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have to pay per state as well. Some states don't have any state tax. California has the highest state tax. Others have none. They have the highest state tax, but it's not just the highest. It's almost double what the second highest is. I mean, it's insane. It's about, all, it's about 14% extra Did live in California. So at the, t- at, the t- at the top tax rate, I'm paying well over 50% of my income goes to pay taxes. Oh my God. So here I am in a state that's locked me down, won't allow me to move, uh, won't allow me to go out to eat, won't allow my kids to go to school, and they're taking over 50% of my income at the same time.
1: That's ridiculous. And so I
0: could move to, I could move to Texas. I could move to Florida. Like a lot of other people, they have no state taxes. So right off the bat, that's 14% of my income I'm saving. It's a big deal, Mm -hmm. but I don't know anybody in those States. So, and I, and I'm a surfer. I want to be by the ocean. So um, Puerto Rico is part of the United States and they have a program because they went bankrupt uh, a number of years ago. And so what they've done, which was a little bit different than other countries, or I'm sorry, other States, uh, like in, 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 in California has more businesses and more wealthy people people move out of the state, the state squeezes the people that are left even harder, which then forces more people out. So they squeeze Mm -hmm. the remaining people harder. What Puerto Rico did was something kind of smart. And they said, we're going to open up and invite people to come here. We're going to invite people to come and create businesses, create jobs and bring revenue. And so they have this program. If you come and you start a business in Puerto Rico and you hire people in Puerto Rico and you pay taxes in Puerto Rico, you get a very, very, very favorable tax treatment. And so um, being, and this is something else for the international listeners, uh, the United States is very unique. I believe it's the only one of two countries in the entire world that has this. But because I'm born a United States citizen, no matter where I live in the world for the rest of my life, I owe federal taxes. Unless
1: you like rescind your passport. Unless, citizenship and citizenship, and that's
0: impossible to do right now, right? So you yeah, can't even right. do that with, with COVID and all that. So um, right. basically, I have to pay federal taxes for the rest of my life, no matter where I live. Other countries don't have that. And so basically, uh, my only my options were I could go to Texas or Florida, get rid of the state tax, but still pay the 40% federal. Or I could go to Puerto Rico, live on a beautiful island in the Caribbean and still have beautiful surf um, and lower my tax bill down to about 4%. And so um, that seemed like a good option. And so that's kind of why we're here. We're optimizing for tax efficiency at this point. Um, I think I, uh, you know, we'll get into some later stuff of kind of where we're going in the future, but right now there's a lot of money sloshing around the system. We can still make money pretty easily today. Um, I don't think the future looks so good. And so I'm kind of in a mode of like, make as much as you can while you can and keep as much as you can, while you can. Um, and so optimizing for tax efficiency helps me to then later optimize for freedom.
1: Yeah. This is like probably the blow off top of earnings before, before we reach the rough patches. Right. Yeah, um, that's right. About- about california a little bit and this is probably because you know i'm not that well versed in states in america but um just like a country where california seems to be losing a lot of their people do you think they'll in- implement some kind of state capital controls for people trying to leave the same way america not america right now but venezuela or lebanon would in- implement capital controls for their countries
0: yeah they already are and so that was another thing oh. that forced me to kind of move early and so what do i mean by that so a couple things that they've already done so one um California real estate is very, very expensive. That's another thing. It's very expensive to live in the state of California. Um, and so what they've done now is if you sell your home and move out of the state, you have to pay extra tax on that. <laughs> right, right? Capital because, controls. Um, yeah. What they've also done now, and they're floating this law around and, and it hasn't gotten passed yet, but it, it, it probably will, is now they say, um, when you move out of the state of California, you still owe state taxes for 10 more years. Wow, wow and, and they're trying to make it retroactive, so for example, if this passes, they could say it's retroactive, so even though I've been gone now for almost seven months doesn't matter you're still because you were there um and then what they're also floating around is if you spend more than, X amount of time in the state, let's say you spend more than 30% of your time in the state, but let's say you went to college in the state and then you moved out, um, you would still be subject to that law and you would still owe state taxes for 10 years just because you spent a little bit of time in the state. And so to your point, yes, uh, they, they have, they already are, they most likely will. And that's another reason why it's like, well, get out while you still can.
1: Wow, that is insidious. The but, you're but,
0: to. but let me say this. So um, to your point, um, the United States is set up as a decentralized government. All 50 mm-hmm. states are supposed to be sovereign. Uh, what's happened is we've started to see this federalization. So the federal government is trying to blanket the whole, everything, but that's not mm-hmm. the way the country is supposed to be set up. Each country, each state should be independent. And so if I don't like California, I could just move to Texas, right? right. Um, and so what's happened is um, California has become so draconian with their taxes and their regulations. It's made it so hard for businesses to operate that they're being outcompeted, competed and people are moving to Texas. No state tax very business uh friendly etc and so over the years california has lost everything hollywood has left this, hollywood is now california hollywood is now the number four destination for movies being made in the united states oh, man. silicon valley has mostly left um elon musk took tesla out when he said he, he was yeah. gonna have to leave um Maybe i think Texas it was one level. of the one of the reps said uh tweeted f you elon and he tweeted back Point received. And then Texas and Nevada competed for his business. Oracle recently left. It was like one of the last really big companies there. And so um, Texas has been out competing in California. And guess what's happening now? The governor's being recalled. See yep. how that works? And so yep. we're seeing competition play out in real time. Yeah. People speak and they have People to listen. Speak. Yeah.
1: So, um, in, in terms of, I guess, going back to Puerto Rico and in general, Latin America, and even though Puerto Rico is more of an American um, territory, uh, how do you see, you know, this, this entire excitement around El Salvador, and I know you're a surfer, so you probably are very excited about El Salvador in general, sure. how, do you, how do you see that playing out, you know, and um, one with, with, with the current excitement around it, and two, you know, looking at your videos around the, the PSC cycles and the financial cycles and the tech cycles, how do you see that playing out and playing a role in, in the overall um, turn we're seeing?
0: Yeah, so uh, I love what's going on in El Salvador. Uh, as As you said, as a surfer, I've been down there many times surfing. We spent a lot of time down there. Like I said, um, I'm actually heading down there in just a couple of weeks. So, um, nice. yeah, super excited about what's happening down there. And I'm actually working with the group down there to pour some gas on that fire, and we're going to spread it all around the world. So I want to hear about um, we'll, that too. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, yeah, I think it's amazing what's happening, and 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 it's actually an extension of what I just talked about. So. Um, Texas has been out competing in California. Florida has out competed New York. So New York's lost Wall Street. I mean, Goldman Sachs is gone. The New York Stock Exchange is gone and they're all moving down to Florida. Um, The governor there, Cuomo, he went on the news and said, um, basically begging and pleading and said, I'll even cook you dinner if you'll move back like to the rich people. And of course now he's in his own legal problems as well. And so again, um, that's playing out. But what about when countries compete? And that's where things start getting really interesting. And so that is where I see El Salvador, this this whole piece. And it kind of goes into game theory. So whoever kind of moves first has that advantage. And so uh, El Salvador, for maybe those that aren't really familiar with what's going on down there, which I don't know how you could have missed it at this point, but about two years ago, and this is this is an important piece because it's uh, Bitcoin is a decentralized technology, the world is moving to this peak centralization as I talked about the United States is now trying to centralize all the power it's supposed to be decentralized, uh, but the world is trying to centralize all the power so we have the World Economic Forum and the IMF and etc, the UN. Um, but what's happening is in, uh, in El Salvador started as a decentralized movement. So what do I mean is we went in, uh, well, Bitcoin Beach started going directly to the people and affecting change within people's lives on the ground and started a, a circular Bitcoin economy. So in El Salvador, super poor, there's nothing going on there. There's no jobs, hardly any money. I mean, there, you'll still see people getting around on oxen and cart down there. It's like, it's that poor. Um, and so they put a Bitcoin in and they said, um, hey, use this in your economy as money. And it allowed that economy to grow and flourish so much that a few weeks ago, they hosted the ISA surfing Olympic trials down there. Um, and now it's, it's done so much for the people and then it worked its way up to the community, to the state. At that, at, at some point, the government had to take notice. So the government's like, "Dang, what's going on down there? We want more of that. Let's adopt it for the whole nation." So rather than a top-down approach, a centrally planned model, it was a decentralized, bottom-up approach. And so um, El Salvador, the government realized, you know, how powerful this is, and so they announced to make that a reserve currency or a, um, and and have uh, have it, you know, everybody in the in the nation start taking it, and then back to kind of this competition. Um, Now everybody wants to go down there and start businesses and um, all these things. And so now other nations are like, well, shoot, if everybody wants to go there and start businesses, we'll adopt Bitcoin too. And maybe they'll want to come to our our countries as well. And so now we've seen five or six other um, countries at this point say that they're going to adopt it. And so um, that will cause competition. Now, this is a big thing. And uh, I'm super excited about this. And this is where I think Bitcoin really gives us this tool for freedom. And I would say that, it's, uh, it's got to be abundantly clear to anybody that has half a brain that the world is moving towards centralization, moving towards totalitarianism. Um, the governments continue to get more power, more control over our lives. Um, Technology is giving them the perfect weapon. You know, China with their social credit score system and, you know, uh, Google, Twitter, censoring people, uh, the central bank digital currencies, what will come next will be the ultimate c- control tool. So we're moving towards this, this whole world's moving towards uh, more control and us losing more uh, freedom. And then I just ask people like, what breaks that trend? At what point does that reverse? At at, at some point, does the government wake up and go, shoot, we have too much freedom. Why don't we, I'm sorry, too much power. Why don't we give a little freedom back? Because that's not going to happen. never has. And so some people say a revolution. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's not a revolution of of guns. Um, What I say breaks that trend. Is competition. That's what breaks the trend, right? So just like California, they got tighter, tighter, tighter. As more people left, they got tighter, tighter, tighter. But well, they got outcompeted, and now they're being uh, the governor's being recalled. Um, and so now, uh, China is a good example of this. China was a very strict communist country for decades but they were left behind on the world stage. They've been a superpower for ages and now they were left behind. They were so poor. And so they had to open up and they created free trade zones and then free ports. And then they, they sprinkled in some capitalism. And by Mm -hmm. relaxing some of their communist tactics and allowing some freedom, look how much they flourished. They were forced to do that. They didn't, they didn't want to do that, but they had to, if they wanted to compete. And so what I see is as enough people leave, you know, totalitarian governments, whether that's the US or UK or Australia, whatever, and they start moving to these states of El Salvador, Panama, etc. The countries will be forced to change. But here's what really is the secret ingredient to this. Of course, it's Bitcoin. And the reason why is because, you know, I'm old enough where I grew up and under the Cold War with Russia and the East and West Berlin wall was up. And uh, when I was in high school, I saw both of those institutions fail, and so I have uh, many friends growing up whose families had moved from oppressive regimes, um, Afghanistan, Iran. One of my best friends came from South Africa, and when they had to come over, they came over penniless because they couldn't bring their real estate, they couldn't carry their gold, you know, et cetera. And so they came, they couldn't get their money out of the bank, so they came penniless. And obviously, one, that's super hard to move if you can't have any money, and two, if I leave, but the country keeps all my wealth. What good does that do and that's where bitcoin comes in because now all my wealth is cryptographically secured i have 12 words in my head even if i had to swim naked to el salvador when i get there i can have all my wealth and that is what speeds up the competition
1: yeah but do you see el salvador by making let's say this this um government wallet that everybody uses. Do you see that's that's an attempt to centralize any of this wealth or do you think it doesn't matter because Bitcoin is uncensored uncentralizable and uncensorable? So, you know, Bikeley is actually working on behalf of Bitcoin as opposed to trying to, you know, push the 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 mainstream totalitarian narrative we're seeing across the world.
0: Yeah, I would say the latter, definitely. So one, as you said, like Bitcoin is uncensorable, Um, And so it looks like everything that we've seen, uh, what he said, and then I try to take people at what they're saying, and then of course, we'll see what they do. But um, mm-hmm. he said that uh, the, the wallet is open and anybody can transfer it wherever they want. They're not restricting wallets. Um, and so everybody has the freedom to choose whatever they want. Um, so I don't see that as a centralization play at all. Um, at least that's what he said. And that's what he's done. Uh, we'll see if things change. Uh, but I just, I just don't see that happening. I don't, I don't think that's the angle and we'll have to see how that plays out. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm very up to optimistic. I know that, you know, he's been working directly with those guys down there from Bitcoin beach and, and with Jack. So I, I really feel like he has some people in his corner that are whispering the right things in his ear, but to your point, let's see, you know, don't trust
0: verify. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: So um, I got a couple more questions for you, Mark, and feel free to ask me anything you want to. I know that I'm, I've been kind of dominating the stage here. With the, with oh, it's the your questions. it's your stage. But uh, what is, if you were? Because I know you've traveled a little bit. If you were to pick a country anywhere in the world that you know you you removed all the other macro geopolitical factors, where would be your favorite place to live?
0: Well, if if all things were equal as far as uh, freedom and and opportunity and, and and all those things, I'd have to say probably back to Southern California. Um, I, uh, I have been all over the world and, um, a lot, I've traveled quite a bit and, uh, I mean, Southern California is super unique. And, um, I think probably no matter where you're from, you think that's the best place. So maybe that yeah. has something to do with it. Right. Um, but Southern California is a very, very unique place. Um, you have, uh, some of the best surf in the world and coastline in the world. The water's a little cold, so it's got that uh, against it, but, um, some of the best surf and beaches in the world. Uh, But also, it's on the desert. And so I guess growing up there, I love the desert. And uh, so I go out there all the time. I'm uh, less than two hours away from the mountains where I can be snowboarding. Um, I'm less than an hour away from the border of Baja, California, Mexico. And uh, I have a century pass so I can go across the border without waiting in line. I'm down there at least once a month. Um, So I got Baja. I got the deserts. I got the ocean. I got the mountains to go snowboarding. And there's just nowhere in the world that has all of that in one place. Um, in addition, not that I do it a lot, but of course, I mean, you got LA and you got Las Vegas and all that's like right there as well. So um, that's the thing that I'm probably having the hardest time with being in Puerto Rico is that it is a beautiful island, in the Caribbean. And I think for most people, um, it, it's such an awesome place. Why wouldn't you live here? If you want to play golf and tennis and go fishing and diving, like, why wouldn't you live here? But uh, there's a lot of things that I've built my lifestyle around that aren't here. And so that's, that's been tough.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Southern California. The hiking is amazing there. To your point, the surfing is amazing there. Um, on the foothills, right around by Rancho Cucamonga, there's like a, yeah. a view directly out to the um, what's that island? Where the Catalina, um, where Catalina Island, and then the mountains yeah. on that side. Oh my God, it's amazing there. I would say the utopian version of that would be no border between you and Mexico because you know we're all global, so we should be able to just cross without any any restrictions as long as it's secure and and all the other rules that are draconian in California being gone that would be like the perfect California in my mind
0: well yeah I mean you said if uh, you know if it was an even playing field across the country so um for sure then you have to take those things into consideration um I've been doing dirt bike tours down in uh, in Baja Mexico for 16 years now and so we take groups of guys from from the United States down to Mexico ride dirt bikes around and, and, and very often I hear that comment, like, man, the U S should just take this over. It's so beautiful. It'd be so much better. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is good because the U S hasn't taken it over. Like yeah. we, we don't want that to happen. So to your point, like removing that border, I think what's kept it so cool is that the U S hasn't taken it over. Um, it's, it's mostly wide cool. open down there right now.
1: Yeah. I love it down there too. Baja California. It's pretty yeah. nice on that side. Yeah. So. If you have anything else you want to ask or, you know, tell the people uh, anything about anything about yourself or Bitcoin, go ahead and let them know.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we didn't really dig into some of the, the, the big thesis that I've had on, on kind of uh, these three revolution cycles that are, that are converging I mean, together. We got, got
1: time. Before we get into Mark's thesis on revolutionary cycles, though, it's Puerto Rico standpipe time. In the previous episode, you probably saw I was doing standpipes where you can download a lightning wallet and you can scan the QR code on the screen and you can get free Bitcoin which we call Satoshis in the amount that I'm giving out. So today I think I'm going to show you guys how to actually use a wallet to download those Satoshis. There's a wallet called Blue Wallet. If you've heard of it, you can download it on the Play Store and once you download it, you should see something like this on your screen that shows you that you can add a new wallet. Go ahead and add that new wallet. Call it whatever you want. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call this one Dread. And I'm going to select Lightning. That's the, the yellow one on that side. Let's see if it gets all clear or not. Come on. Yeah. No, I guess it's not that good, but that side is Lightning. <laughs> and then I'm going to go ahead and press Create. And that's it. That's all I've done. And I've created a wallet. And this wallet's going to allow me to back up to an email if I want and to accept satoshis right now. Again, it's pretty dark, but it says zero satoshis. I don't know if I can, well, we're not showing it, but it says zero satoshis now. And all you have to do is click the scan button and scan the QR code and you've gotten free money. You've gotten free Bitcoin. So go ahead and hit that code. And as always, I have to give thanks to Swan Bitcoin. They helped me to start the whole thing. Swan Bitcoin is a place that you can get um, bitcoin in the u.s so if you are an american citizen or you have an american bank account go ahead and go to swanbitcoin.com rastafari and you can get ten dollars for free just by using that code and if you are a wealthy american and you're buying more than a hundred thousand dollars up to i think 10 million is what their price is and you can go to swanbitcoin.com private
0: and they'll hook you up all right guys back to the show For a minute, if you want, I, it's uh, something that I've been working on for, for years and years and years on my YouTube channel. Um, I try as, as best I can, um, to always try to bring in like this historical reference. Um, I think that history is, uh, super interesting. And I think that it gives us a lot of uh, information as to one, how we got here, but even more importantly, where we're going. And so I put together this, this, uh, thesis where, like I said, it's years of, of work, but, um there's a, it's a three-part video series on my channel. And basically there's three cycles that are converging at the same time right now. And so the the, the short version of that is that even though the world's changing, like, uh, I mean, look how much it's changed in the last year, obviously, um, is uh, exponential. So it's happening really fast, but as it's changing, things are also staying the same. And so we also kind of just repeat over and over. And so we kind of have this cycle of, um, what i call this political social cultural cycle this revolution cycle where um, basically it's the same thing because man is involved and so um, it starts with freedom and then it gets too much control which then leads to um oppression and then an overthrow revolution and then freedom (laughs) growth oppression overthrow and it just kind of repeats over and over and over or maybe like a pendulum swinging back and forth and so we can trace this back um for thousands of years i mean there's uh There's these 84-year cycles that are regime change or um, populist uprising cycles. So 84 years ago was end of World War II and Hitler, Mussolini, the United States. We had the FDR New Deal, which was kind of a regime change. Um, 84 years before that, Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, which led to the European Spring, the largest revolution in European history. So those are every 84 years. And then three Mm -hmm. 84-year cycles equals 252 years. And so the 250-year cycle is the big revolution cycle. So 250 years ago was the American Revolution, the French Revolution, the Declaration of Independence, uh, the birth of democracy and capitalism. 250 years before that was the Protestant Reformation. And so what's, what's interesting about those is both times it was rejecting centralization to move to decentralization, escaping the, the oppression of the centralization. Mm-hmm. So in the 1500s, um, they were rejecting the control that the church and the state had over the people, and they moved to a more of a decentralized approach through church and God. 250 years ago, it was obviously rejecting the monarchy, the kingdom in Europe, and created a decentralized government in the United States. And now here we are 250 years later, and we can easily see that we're at peak centralization. Again, we talked about the World Economic Forum and 2030, you'll own nothing, you'll be happy, and the UN and the IMF and all these things. And so, um, and we can also see every 84 years, we have this this populist uprising. And so we can see that, right? Uh, Before the pandemic, there was 10 countries with over a million people each marching. Yeah. And uh, the pandemic kind of slowed that down a little bit, but it's starting to pick back up again pretty quickly right now. And so all over the world, people are uprising. They're, They're ready to throw. So we can see something's about to change. And history tells us that it's rejecting centralization to move to decentralization. And then what's interesting... If you look at that on its own, that's interesting. But then we can look at these technological revolutions. And so about every 50 years, we have a technological revolution. And this is not a new technology like an iPhone. This is a revolution that completely changes the way of life. Mm -hmm. And so um, it started with the industrial revolution, brought people out of the farms and the uh, the farms and the cottage industry and brought them into factories and, and built cities that changed the way of life. We had steel and steam engines. For all of humanity, we had human power and horsepower, and now there was steam power. That was big, changed humanity. Then we had electricity. For 5,000 years, we lived in the dark, and now we had light, we had electricity. But more than that, electricity allows us to do what we're doing right now, so it changed mm-hmm. humanity. Uh, early 1900s, the automobiles. of humanity we had to walk or ride horses now we had cars that was pretty big Um, and then uh, 1971 we had the the microprocessor which was the age of information allowed us to have personal computers and allows us to do what we're doing right now 1971 plus 50 years brings us to right here today there's a new technological revolution what's interesting is that um, solutions come to problems so the problem is that we have centralization. The problem is that we have censorship. The problem is that we have this money printer with this unlimited money supply that's causing distortions in the market. The problem is all those things. The problem is that we used to have a rule of law. Today we're ruled by men that constantly change the rules on us. Those are the problems. So the solution is we need something with true digital scarcity. We need something with immutable code, with law that can't be changed. We need something that man doesn't control so they can't distort it anymore. We need something that's censorship resistant so no one can steal my wealth. And if I want to send it to you, nobody can stop it, block it, prevent it. That's the technological revolution that we have today. That's Bitcoin. Out of the 8,000 or 10,000 cryptocurrencies, there's only one that gives us those solutions. Only one. And so that's a technological revolution that changes the way humanity works. And so at the very same time, this 250-year cycle is hitting, causing this this revolution, at the same time, the technological revolution cycle is also hitting, giving us exactly what we need. And then the third piece, which uh, I've spent a lot of time focusing on the financial side of things, is that there's a financial revolution. So there's about an 80-year credit cycle, financial revolution cycle. And so uh, basically our system, this fiat money system is a debt-based system. And so these debt cycles, they run out of steam. Uh, Basically, uh, without digging in super deep, basically uh, you just print as much debt as you can until you can't afford it anymore. You have four choices and that's either one, live on a budget, austerity, nobody wants that. Two, um, default, countries can't really do that. Three, um, wealth transfer. So that means steal all the money from the rich. Um, problem is that you run out of money. So the mm-hmm. fourth option is to debase or print, print more money. And, of course, they're always going to choose option four. At that point, people leave the currency and they go find alternative assets, which, of course, is what's happening today. People can't buy homes or gold or Bitcoin or stocks fast enough. The stocks are at all-time highs right now. Real, yeah. houses, houses, the median home price in the United States just went up to $350,000. It's up 24% in a year. People cannot get rid of their dollars fast enough. And so when that happens, it's game over. And so what's interesting is a lot of people, and if you're only looking at the financial side, you're like, will the dollar remain the reserve currency? Will it lose its reserve currency? Will China be the new reserve currency? Maybe it'll be the IMF with their SDR. What's the new reserve currency going to be? But I think they're looking at it wrong because they're only looking at that piece of information. If you realize the world is breaking away from centralization and moving to decentralization, and then we have a technology that gives us decentralization. And then you look at the financial side. I think it makes the answer pretty clear. But the big thing is, I think most people are looking for a centralized answer. Meaning we're looking for the IMF to announce this is the new thing, but the, but the future is decentralized. So yeah. Bitcoin becomes my reserve asset. It becomes your reserve asset. These S&P 500 companies becomes their reserve asset. Some people may still want to use dollars, Some people might want to use Chinese one. It's a decentralized answer. It's not Mm -hmm. this formal central approach that I think people are looking for. So that's this big thesis.
1: It is a shift from thinking top down, somebody going to save me. Some savior is going to come along like the IMF to, I have the decentralized tool to save myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be a tough transition. Um, And, and kind of that you made a good point there, right? So right now everyone's looking to experts, please save me. Please tell me what to do. Uh, But yeah, the future is like, figure it out for yourself, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, and this is just me playing devil's advocate, but to, to your point around the technological revolution, um, even from the reformation days where they, they had a a revolution there based on the new technology that was the printing press. Right. And that was kind of decentralized information. You're able to read for yourself. Whereas now I feel like um, maybe there's a, 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 a reality where this decentralized nature, or no, this technology that has been used to um, spread information all over the world, which is social media and the internet, what if the powers that be, or the World Bank, or you know the WEF, they are using that in their to their advantage, right, to actually try to change the way human action has been over the cycles and change the way we usually would have pushed back? Because to your point, as we swing from freedom to oppression, we the will and the motivation of the people is to push back. To continue to cycle? What if there's a way that they can use social media to socially engineer people not to push back? That's a concern, right?
0: There is a way and they are doing that. And um, my fear is that if we don't win now, they'll be able to use that as a perfect prison for us. So mm-hmm. to your point, yes, they are using that. And yes, it is working. However, what I would also say is oh, though the printing press was came out about 70 years before the reformation. Um, the internet was started in about the 70s, maybe the 80s. The first WW went live in 1990. Um, so we're 21 years into it, maybe 30, 40 years if you go back to the beginning of the internet. Um, so um, what's happening today is, yes, they are using the internet against us. However, we're also using it to get the information. And so um, what's happening is um, now everybody, uh, everybody can see what's happening. And so all um, all the, the fiat money system is a system built on theft. Inflation is theft. It's also a system built on lies and deceit. Henry Ford said 100 years ago, if the people knew how the banking system worked, there'd be a revolution before morning. morning. And they, mm-hmm. they can't hide anymore. They can't hide. Now, you know, as well as I do, like everyone's throwing around the word fiat. Five years ago, nobody even knew what that word was. And so True. people are waking up. And I was on a call today with some people... Um, talking about um, countries adopting this. And and then we were talking specifically about the pressure the IMF could force down onto these countries. And um, we were talking about how um, now these countries can see the game that the IMF is playing. There's the book like the economic hitman and they know the tactics that that are being done. And so, um, to your point, yes, it can be used that way, but I also think it's shown a light where now people can see what's happening and they can't hide in the shadows anymore. I mean, they're doing their best, they're trying to censor it as best as they can, but the information is too powerful. It's getting out there. Um, and I think that it overcomes. However, my fear is that if we don't seize this, and that's why I'm so adamant about pushing this this uh, whole you know education and ideology, is because I believe if we don't hold the line here, if Bitcoin fails, it's not good, man. I I I say yeah. if if not Bitcoin, then what? There's no other, yeah. other option. And so then we end up in that totalitarian uh, dystopian nightmare, kind of like the Matrix movie. Um, I don't think that happens. I think human freedom always wins.
1: Yeah, I agree, and that's why your videos are so important, right? And why we need to spread it. I mean, I'll be putting them in the show notes as well. Um, the three series, the three videos you have out recently on the on the cycles, and also the most recent one you said on on the labor shortage. And um, also there's another video that I would like you to watch, which is um, I think it's called Life and Debt, which is about the IMF and Jamaica specifically, because, you know, they're like pressuring El Salvador right now. They yeah. did a similar hitman job to Jamaica. And to this day, Jamaica is still struggling. So it's called Life and Debt with D-E-B-T. And um, I'll put it in the show notes as well. But yeah. it's an amazing video about the, the, you know, putting, pulling the covers beha- um, from the IMF and showing you how they've systematically destroyed countries like El Salvador and Jamaica.
0: Yeah, I'd love to watch that. So share that with me. Um, I think, you know, the one thing about what's happening in El Salvador and this movement is, again, back to it's being decentralized bottom up. And so it's very easy for the IMF to, um, you know, lean on to the leaders of Jamaica or any country. And most of the third world is still poor because it's corrupt leadership. Not that the U.S. isn't corrupt either. Um, probably as corrupt, if not more. But um, it's the corruption at the top, right, that keeps the nation broke and poor. And so it's very hard for the people to ever get a chance to rise up because the, the mm-hmm. government um, keeps them depressed. Um, but now, if we can go directly to the people, we can give freedom to the people, it's a bottom-up approach. And so that's what gives me hope and and, and change. Um, but it won't be easy, it's, it's a battle for sure.
1: It's a mental battle too, because when you talk to the people that are at the bottom, for them to rise up, they have to first understand and believe and then feel like they have the capability to rise up. And when I talk to people, everywhere from fishermen in El Salvador to my own people in Jamaica, they have this nihilistic approach to say, "Man, the government's been beating on us for so many years. What makes this any different? Why yeah. should I even spend the time to to look to see if you actually have a weapon now?" Yeah, you know.
0: And I don't yeah, know how I, to get across I, to them. I hear it from- all the time. I mean, that's some of the biggest complaints we hear about Bitcoin is, "Ah, oh, the government's going to make it illegal," and I yep. just I, that 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 just burns me up inside because it's like you're already defeated. Like, if a billion people don't want something to be illegal, it ain't going to be illegal. Like I just like stop being a victim, like stand up for yourself. Like we're going to take this. And so uh, to your point, you're absolutely right. I I hear it all the time. Uh, But again, human freedom always wins.
1: Do you have any specific um, videos or anything you've put out to, to kind of, you know, help people to translate that to people who are nihilistic or to help them understand?
0: Um, I did a couple of, I did two videos talking specifically about, um, I don't think the government's going to ban it. Um, and so there was two that I kind of hit them from different angles. So those are probably going to be pretty good. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if I can think of any right now talking about specifically how the people need to kind of stand up to it. Obviously these three cycle videos you're talking about, the first one is showing how the people always revolt and bring freedom back. Um, so I think that one, um, probably might be the best for that.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll put the government can't ban it in the show notes too, though. Yeah, man. That, yeah, it's. It's, it's a crazy world we're living in now. I always say, what a time to be alive because, you know, my parents didn't have this opportunity. They didn't have this tool. And um, the fact that we do, I feel like if, if we don't stand up and use it and shout from the mountaintops about it, then we are doing a disjustice to our own nations and, um, and ourselves. So
0: That's I'm really happy. Right. You know, That's I mean, absolutely right. Uh, Ronald Reagan has a quote. He said that um, freedom is never more than one generation away from being lost it's not passed in the bloodline. Instead, it must be taught and it must be fought for by every generation. If not one day we'll be sitting and talking about how things, how great things used to be. And so that's kind of like, to your point, like we have the chance right now. Um, if we don't fight for it right now, we're one generation away from losing it. And our kids will be talking about how it used to be. And I don't want yeah. that.
1: Yeah. This, this shouldn't be the good times. This should be the beginning to get to the good times.
0: And I believe it is. I believe it is. Uh, You know, we're at the end of this revolutionary cycle. I believe this is the transition. And I believe the next couple of years are going to be rough. And that's where a lot of times it's doom and gloom. The next couple of years are going to be rough. Um, But if you can pay attention, you can live through it. There's great hope and prosperity on the other side.
1: I think when we met in Miami, I think I asked you this question. I'm not sure if I phrased it right, but you know, after looking at your watching your videos and thinking about it, do you feel like um, when this bottom up revolution happens and, and we reorganize ourselves in society, do you think there'll be I don't want to call them fiefdoms or you know uh, kingdoms because that's really old school thinking, but some kind of new, more you know more modern version of that happening?
0: Yeah. So, um, this book goes around big in the Bitcoin circles, the sovereign individual. Um, so for anyone listening the sovereign individual book, it was written in 1997, but it's almost prophetic for where we are today. I kind of, uh, I, I kind of think this is a pretty good illustration of where the future might be going. Um, I do believe kind of to your point, uh, smaller decentralized governments. Um, I don't, I think the age of this giant nation state are archaic and old, and it's not going to be the f- new future. Um, 300 in the United States there's 330 million people. That's way too many people to be under one ideology. Yeah. And the reason why is because people align themselves based off of values. So, so mainstream today is trying to tell us that we align on race or sexual preference or gender preference or whatever it is. Um, but that just that just can't be farther from the truth. We align on values. You and I are different races, we're different countries, we're different locations, it doesn't matter. We share values and we're yeah. united in that, right? And so um, you need people to unite on values. And so um, you can't get 330 million people to be ruled by one person. And so we need that competition to keep things in check. If I don't like it here, I just move over here. And I think that's what keeps this, the, the, the whole thing going. And it also, you know, we, th- we, we throw around uh, Bitcoin fixes this, we throw that around to everything, but part of the reason why is because almost every problem that we have, if if there was this giant oak tree with ten thousand leaves at the top, each leaf is a problem in society. But at the base of that oak tree, at the bottom, is the money printer, mm-hmm. and so the money printer is what causes all the problems, including the power of the state growing. The state's only able to continue to grow its power because it prints money, um, and so when we take away the money printer, it fixes all those problems. That's why we say it fixed everything because we can fix the money, fix the world kind of a thing. And so um, I think when you take away the state's ability to make money, you take away its ability to continue to grow and expand its power, which then brings things back down into smaller entities um, that are then trying to provide value in exchange. So for example, um, uh, an extreme example would be in the Congo in Africa, for example, you have a warlord there and uh a dictator in a country, and he just basically robs his people blind, right? Yeah. And he lives this lavish lifestyle, but he's stealing from everybody. Well, two things. One, the people, they can't ever plan ahead for their future because they know as soon as they get any money, it's going to be stolen. And the warlord, he knows anytime he wants, he can go steal the money. But what happens when those people have their wealth in Bitcoin and he can't come steal it? Well, two things happen. One, it shifts the power balance it shifts the power from the warlord or the dictator back to the people and then mm-hmm. it changes the incentive structure so now the warlord dictator knows he can't just go steal the money so you the only ask. way the only way he can get money is by providing value mm-hmm. And the people know that their money can't be stolen, so they know now they can plan long-term and for the future. Mm-hmm. And that's an extreme example, but back to uh, going back to these giant nation states, right now they can steal your wealth by printing more money. They don't even have to tax you. They don't even have to seize your bank account. They just print more money. They're stealing your value. And so they don't have to provide value to us. We're looked at as like subjects. They can just steal as much as we want, manipulate us, steal our bank accounts, censor us. And so once they lose that power, it's going to go go back to them having to provide value. Like I'm willing to live in California and pay 25% of my wealth. I'm willing to do that. If they could provide me these services and for that, I'm willing to pay 25%. Now, if I go to Arizona, it's not as nice. Maybe the services are a little bit better. So I'll pay 12% there, right? But I'll pay based off the value I provide rather than just stealing from me. So I think that brings it down much smaller.
1: Yeah, you made them sound like restaurants at that point. You know, I like to go Olive Garden, but eh, it's too expensive there. I'm gonna go over here to, I don't know, Ruby Tuesdays because. Well, shouldn't you know, it? Shouldn't
0: I- it be? Shouldn't it be like that, right? Like we should be looked at as customers, um, and uh, you know, like. Uh, When I was in California, I lived in a gated neighborhood and there was a homeowners association there. And there's a bunch of gated neighborhoods with a bunch of different homeowners associations and some are more expensive than others, but they give you more amenities. They have tennis courts and pools. Some of them give you less amenities. Some have stricter things like you can't park on the street. Some say you can park on the street, right? And so I can decide where I want to live based off of how much I have to pay and what features I get. And so like, that's kind of like an example of how that I think plays out in the future.
1: I like that. That's a really good example, the homeowner association. And I hope that El Salvador ends up doing that as well, where they know they're competing for, for global people to come in now. So they, they make it as attractive as possible. Right. I hope.
0: And they're doing a good job with it. I mean, uh, they said that, uh, I was writing down that HOA example. I may make a video off that. That's um, a really good one, yeah. <laughs> so um, so uh, back to El Salvador, they already are, right? So they announced if you, I think, invest three Bitcoin, you can get residency there. Yep. And so um, I've been talking to the guys down at Bitcoin Beach. And right now, the last two weeks, they've been completely overrun. They're getting just bombarded. People are showing up there like, like crazy, trying to buy land, trying to buy mm-hmm. houses. Um, businesses are trying to get set up there. Um, the news and media are there. And so look, look at... If you offer just a little bit of freedom, look how much that draw is. Yep.
1: Yep. It's amazing. And I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be part of that rush, but I'm definitely going to be going back down there again soon to at least surf and hang out with those guys. Cause um, the it's, it's, it's the epicenter at this point, you know, it's, it's where yeah. the seed has been planted for this, for this nation state competition to
0: happen. Yep. I'm going down July 20th. I'm going to go down with Brecky and a couple other guys. Um, what I'm doing is, uh, I'm, I'm delivering phones down there. So the problem in El Salvador is a lot of people don't have phones. And so they may have to share their Bitcoin funds on one person's phone. Like a group of people are sharing one phone, which isn't the best way to do that. And the other mm-hmm. problem is that they don't have any jobs. And so, uh, we're taking these old phones and wiping them clean, putting open source internet email on there, Bitcoin wallets, and we're putting apps on there where they can actually do micro tasks on their phone they can get jobs and that get paid in bitcoin so nice. now we're delivering them phones bringing them onto the internet age giving them a bitcoin wallet and giving them jobs where they can earn up to 5 bucks an hour paid in bitcoin and so and that jobs. is ru- amazing uh, they're, they're micro task jobs. So, uh, an example was like for helping train artificial intelligence. So looking at pictures, clicking on pictures with stop signs or circling, start circling trash cans or whatever. And that helps train the artificial intelligence. Um, and so, uh, we're going down there in a couple of weeks, I'm delivering another batch of phones. Um, and then we we're starting that in Peru right now as well. And I think Costa Rica will probably be next. And, um, again, go directly to the people
1: yeah impact their yeah. lives
0: and then it goes up the food chain it's going to be massive it's going to be it's, nice. it's pouring gas on that fire that's already there and then we're going to spread it all over the world that's the gasoline you're talking about
1: yeah, yeah. okay and, and you said the website is decentralizedcollective.com if they want that's to see correct. it right
0: I'll yeah, put that that's in the show great.
1: notes as well i'd love to talk more about it because i know that you're planning on like spreading this wildfire all across um the world and and i'm, I'm wondering what your roadmap looks like and if jamaica's going to be on it because i would love to do something similar down there as well
0: Well, in a couple weeks after i get back we can have another show we can talk about it oh yeah
1: i like that i might even see you down there in el salvador because brecky said that you guys are going on at the end of july so yeah i might actually make that a trip um i should be going to colombia first because lawrence and a bunch of guys from blockstream are over there so um i don't think they're doing anything bitcoin specific like el salvador is doing but you know just hanging with a bunch of bitcoiners and have the mind think going is really helpful for uh for all of us and then i'll probably hop over to el salvador Hell yeah, brother. All right, I got to run,
0: but uh, but so good to catch up with you, man. And like I said, maybe I'll see you in El Salvador. If not, we'll definitely look back up when I get back and we'll talk about it.
1: Thanks, Mark. And thanks again for your time.
0: Bye, brother. See ya. Peace. Peace.